The Plumley Pod, episode 56. Prepare to lift the lid on all things education, not indoctrination. Your voice of reason for home education. The Plumley Pod. Hello and welcome to the Plumley Pod. I'm your host, Sarah Plumley, and I'm joining you from my hollowed out volcano. No, I'm just kidding. I'm home as usual, working as usual, and you might have detected my tone to be a little more dulcet than usual. I'm feeling awfully gravy, gravelly, I should say, in the uh, throat region. Now I'm not being a drama queen. I know actors and actresses are always complaining about their throats, but I definitely feel a bit worse for wear. A little bit groggy, a little bit, mm, am I coming down with something? I get that, what is it called now? Vacation sickness. It's actually a recognized condition where essentially the person makes themselves sick because they work really, really hard. And then they stop to have a little break and then their body deals with all the garbage that it couldn't deal with whilst they were working really, really hard. I think I just dumbed that down rather a lot, but that's essentially what it is, right? Vacation sickness. So I think I'm developing it. Don't worry, I'll be over it in a few days. But I do apologize if I sound a little bit, well, how to put that politely, a little bit um, gravelly in the throat department. We'll settle for that. We'll settle for that. I do apologize. This is the best I've been all week. So forgive me, I've been talking too much, which, well, that won't surprise anybody. First of all, I should just say welcome to the new Gorilla Edders. We are delighted to have you, thrilled to have you. And I must have a massive shout out here to the existing Gorilla Ed members who came to the three-night course last week in order to cheerlead and to help and support and refresh themselves in some cases. So I was going to give a list of names, but I'm bound to leave somebody out. I'm so scared. I probably really shouldn't do this. Do forgive me if I miss one of you. Do tell me off and I will. I will apologize. I'd like to say thank you to Morvina, to Sadie, to Stephen and Pauline, to Tina, to Silver Susan. I'm bound to have already missed somebody. I know it. Oh, Paul, there we go. I managed to save one there, save myself a little bit of embarrassment. But guys, thank you very much indeed for showing up and being there to help out. I really, really appreciate it. It's nice for new members to see who we are and what we're doing. So it's not just me mouthing off all the time. So I do appreciate that. Thank you very, very much indeed. All right. So what am I going to be complaining about today on the podcast? Now, before you start, before you start, I do complain a lot. However, I do something about my complaints. I complain all of the time about piss poor standards in education in the United Kingdom in particular. However, I have done something about it. I have 3000 educational videos now that make up the online portion of guerrilla education, and that is growing all of the time. I've even done some more this week, believe it or not. Another 30 maths videos are going up. Unbelievable. So although I do complain, I'm not one of these alt-media types who only complains and then does nothing and says, oh, let's sign a petition. Oh, let's go on a march. Oh, let's write to our MP. Please send me the evidence of which one of those things worked. As far as I'm aware, all of that COVID emergency nonsense is still on the statute books. They can flick the switch, claim there's an emergency, and lock everybody down again. And uh, straight back on with all the muzzles and all the freaky branch COVIDian behaviors. Mm-mm, sorry, none of that stuff is working. It's time to take real action. 
real action, get your precious babies out of those indoctrination centers, then they can't be indoctrinated into the crazy mind of the state. I'm going to come on to the sound of freedom and this QAnon nonsense very, very shortly, but I just must point out first that I said this ages ago, but I'm going to put it on the record now publicly, that it is my belief that the people taking the Department for Education to court regarding personal social health and economic edu- so-called economic education in schools, I think this is a massive red herring. I think it's a massive, massive red herring. The idea that the only problem in schools is sex ed, drag queen story time, the idea that the LGBTQ whatevers and the trans, the powerful trans lobby is the only problem in our schools is absolutely laughable. I can give you 10 reasons off the top of my head. In fact, I'll put my top 10 reasons not to send your children back to school, of which sex ed with the trannies is only one of them. Yeah, only one of them. If parents, so-called parents who'd been asleep at the wheel, I know that Lawrence Fox and a couple of other people, like the Bad Law Project or something's involved in this. I've done some vague reading around it. I'm not impressed because if parents really gave a toss about their child's education, they'd be suing the Department for Education for the piss-poor academic standards first and foremost. A school's first job is supposed to teach reading, writing, arithmetic to the very best possible standards. That is the first job of education. It always was. Literacy and numeracy. Anything else is a bonus. Anything else is a bonus. And that's simply not happening, and I can prove it. I'm a GCSE mathematics examiner. I mark the national exam papers for 16-year-olds in our country, and I have the bloody screenshots. So don't you tell me that standards in education are improving, that the children are smarter than ever, because I have the evidence, I have the documentary evidence that that is false, that that is a lie. I cannot believe that it's only the sex ed that parents are objecting to and are suing the Department for Education over. To me, this is a massive cover-up. This is to make the general public feel appeased that, oh, something has been done about the out-of-control sex ed. And sex ed is out of control. In my opinion, sex ed should never have been the domain of schools anyway. I used to refuse to teach it. I'm like, I'm not an expert in sex. Well, what do you mean I'm supposed to teach sex ed? I'm a maths teacher. I couldn't think of a, a, a subject specialist worst placed to teach sex ed than somebody, perhaps a science teacher. Actually, yes, if you're a biology teacher in science, you'd be all right, wouldn't you? Maybe a physics teacher or something. I don't know. But I, I was like, hang on a minute. Why should I be teaching this? It's different strokes for different folks. And as far as I'm concerned, this is the preserve of the parent. We shouldn't be treading on the toes of the parent. I was very firm about that. Despite being a commie rag reader, I'm so sorry to tell you that I, I was a Guardian reader. I'm a recovering Guardian reader, which is why I go after it really hard now and call it what it is, a commie rag. But even though I was a hand-wringing liberal, sort of libertarian Guardian reader at the time, I still thought it was wrong to be teaching sex education to young people in schools. It's not none of our damn business. And if you could see the state of uh, mathematics, like there are 15 or 16 year olds who don't know what seven eights are. They don't know their fricking times tables. And even if they do know what seven eights are, they take an age to give you the answer. If you go seven eights, you will sit there for several se- I'm still waiting for it. And this is in real time. And eventually you might get the answer. 56. That's diabolical. I can remember being nine years old and our teacher in primary school, Miss Armit, used to fire these questions at us and we had to answer immediately. Not good enough. Not good enough at all. And yet we're wasting this time on sex education. 
so-called sex education. Also, the idea that children learn X at this age, Y at that age, and Z at that age is complete nonsense. The fact that your children are in age groups is hilarious. They should be in classes according to ability, not according to age. That's why everybody gets held back. That's why schooling is a Marxist system. It's averaging your children out. It's making them the average of the average. You try it. If your daughter is really good at maths, you try going and getting her moved up one or two years in primary school for mathematics. You see what happens. I'm smirking because I know what happens. They say, no, bugger off, she's staying in the class she's in. It's too complicated. That's what they say. Oh, we'll give her some extra worksheets. Yeah, but without the tuition, how's that going to help? Yeah, I know this because I work, parents come to me because their daughter or their son is, they think is talented in mathematics and I'll do a quick assessment called a maths MOT. I made that up, but that's what I run. I do a diagnostics test with your child and then report back to the child and to you afterwards. And I'm seeing some fantastic young people being held back by this system we have called schooling. And you all think it's great. You all think it's bloody marvelous. It's not. It's diabolical. And, you know, this sex ed business, which is where I was off on one before, it is a problem. It is disgusting. And it's nobody's damn business. Some boys at 13 are not ready for sex education. They're immature little scoundrels. They don't take it seriously. In fact, sex ed is often split by gender. I bet that's complicated these days, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't think about that. I just said it. But we used to split the boys off from the girls because the boys typically are way less mature than the girls who just want to get on with it, get the information and figure out what they need to do. The boys giggle and are silly and whatever. So we tend to split for that. Interestingly, boys and girls shouldn't be educated together anyway, but that's another whole argument for another day. Don't shout at me. Don't shout at me. There is tons of academic literature on this fact. Girls and boys should be educated separately. They are very, very different creatures. They need dealing with differently, different strokes for different folks. Oh my goodness, off on one this morning. It's horses for courses and no, it's just, the way we do things is just not right. But quite aside from the argument that's very intensive about whether we should educate men and women together or not, quite aside from that argument, I say not, whatever, you have this whole other problem of even within that group. So let's take the young ladies. Some girls are not ready to talk about sex at, say, 11 or 12 years old. Other girls are ready younger than that, perhaps. Nobody is at the same level of development on any particular thing. Even math, look at math, the setting system for mathematics, whereby you come in in year seven, your first year at secondary school, high school, you take a series of tests, and then they set you according to ability, certainly in subjects like mathematics. Any honest teacher will still tell you that even within a top set, a top set, you will still have a massive range of ability. And goodness me, God help the bottom sets. The range of ability in those is, oh, it's galactic in size. It is absolutely enormous. Even in a large school, even in, I've taught in some very large schools, and it's still a, it's still a huge problem. People need individual tuition if they're going to be good at anything. Do you think Andy Murray learned to play tennis in a group? Stupid. Absolutely stupid. And you say, well, the private schools have only six children in the class. Yeah, well, good for them. But do you think Andy Murray shares a coach with six other tennis players at the same time? Yeah? Learn tennis with my mates and go win Wimbledon? I think not. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. And you know it. Many people just don't want to admit it to themselves because then they would have to look at what they're doing and give it a really hard look and think, hmm, am I doing the right thing here? Anyway, here it is. Here's my hot take. 
all of this noise being made by these Welsh parents about, you know, get the sex ed out of the schools. Very nice. But if you think that's the only problem in schools, you are a moron. If you think that this sex ed thing is the only thing that's a problem in our schools, you are a moron. You haven't done your homework. Shut up. Shut up. And what's even more infuriating is the alt media, the so-called good guys, the so-called truthers, truther industrial complex more like, are platforming them. They're platforming these clowns as if that is the only problem or even the main problem in schools. It's not. The main problem with schools is they're not educating your children to any kind of academic standards. And then, assuming Johnny and Lucy can read and write, well, how do you know they're achieving their best possible standard? They're almost certainly not because we have a thing called levels. We level children or we grade children and we set them targets. And we think this is a really great system. Targets are limits. Targets are a limiting factor, a psychologically limiting factor. We can prove this using all kinds of experiments, including in sport. If you say, right, next season I'm going to score 20 goals for my club, guess what? You're really likely to achieve that. 19, 20, 21. Precisely 20. When I say, right, I'm going to lose a kilo this week, a kilo in weight, I lose precisely a kilo in weight. And I do it consistently. I don't know how I'm doing it. But it's because I'm psychologically committing to that target, that goal. It's kind of linked in with visioning. I don't know if you've done any work on visioning. There are other names for it. It's where you imagine winning a race. So say you're a 100-meter sprinter. You imagine yourself at the national championships. You can see the stand. You can see the running track. You're in your best spikes. You're in your proper running vest. You're ready. You're focused. You hear the gun go off. You make a perfect exit from the blocks you're staying low, you're staying low, you're rising, you're rising, your stride length is increasing. Suddenly the finish line is in sight and you dip for the finish line and there you've won and you've attained your PB, your best ever time in a race. I've just got goosebumps doing that. That was a bit more of an acting exercise than I was prepared for this morning. But anyway, how lovely. I, I was really there. I was running for a minute. Actually, anyone who's ever seen me run the 100 meters would know that that's not entirely true. I'm really good for the first 20. 20 yards, 20 meters, let's say, and ahead because I get out the blocks quick and I'm up to top speed. And then the people with the long legs start opening their long stride and I'm stuffed. I run out of puff. That's me finished. Anyway, my point being that the psychological targets you set yourself, they're brilliant in one respect, but they can be dangerous. How do you know that you couldn't have taken a whole another second off, off your PB? How do you know that? What if you'd set a more ambitious target? Before the scandemic, I wrote a play called Limitations Limit. Limitations Limit. And it was all about target settings. It was actually in a medical context. Somebody who had very badly damaged their legs in a car accident wanted to run a marathon not that long afterwards. I wrote this whole play about it. And one of the most interesting things as I was doing some research for this play was the fact that these targets that we set are in many ways dangerous. We're underselling ourselves. We're not setting high enough targets. On that note, the most dangerous phrase in education is making expected progress. If anybody in your son or daughter's indoctrination center that you call schools, I call them what they are, indoctrination centers, if anybody there tells you that your son or daughter is making expected progress, run a mile. Get your kid out of that school. Expected progress. Do you know what that's a euphemism for? Well, I'll tell you. Expected progress is when we use an algorithm, a computer algorithm, which includes 
the SAT scores that you sit at the end of year six when you're about 10 years old. It might include CAT scores, a kind of battery of tests that you might sit in year seven when you're 11. It includes things like free school meals, whether or not your son or daughter has ever been on free school meals in the last five years. And by now, they might include other bits of information that we didn't have back when I was still running these numbers. That computer algorithm then predicts, based on these broadly socioeconomic factors, not just the academic tests that you sit when you're young, bearing in mind people develop all kinds of different rates. I don't think I did that well in my year six SATs, and yet I ended up in all of the top sets and got pretty much straight A's and A stars in my national exams. And yet I looked like I was below average almost in some of those early tests because I just wasn't ready for those tests. I wasn't mature enough, perhaps, to sit those exams age 10, 11. In any case, this happens to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of children, not just me. But that data is then used to predict not only the outcomes for year nine SATs, so when the child is 12, 13, but actually your GCSE final grades. So from year seven, we're already looking at children, and I'm going to use A star to C because I know the numbers nine to one confuse people, but I, I'm well aware of the nine to one system. So please don't think you're correcting me on that. I do know what I'm talking about. The A star to G system, we're looking at children going, oh, that's a D, that's an F. Oh, he's an A. Yeah, he's an A. He's a solid A. She's an A star. She's a C. We're looking at that from year seven. Those children have five years. They have five years of mathematics to improve. And yet we're looking at them saying, oh, she's a D. And actually, if that girl is performing to the level that would indicate she will get a D in five years' time, we tell parents squarely, without any kind of smirk, no duping delight, we will look you squarely in the eye and tell you that little Jenny is making expected progress. And you skip away from parents' evening or from reading her report, absolutely delighted. She's making expected progress. Oh, or even... She's making just above expected progress. Oh, even better. Let's pop the champagne. Not. Goodness me, you have no idea how <laughs> what expected progress is. And really, you should have thought about it because expected progress, whose expectations? Whose expectations? The state's expectations? Miss Honey's expectations or the Trunchbull's expectations? The people or the person who wants the best educative outcomes for your child is you, the parent and your husband, or and your wife. It's you. Nobody wants better educational outcomes for your children than you. Why would they? They're professional teachers. They get paid every month whether little Johnny does well or not. And I'm not saying they don't care. There are plenty of teachers who do care very much about standards, not enough to stand up for them or to do anything about them. But they say they care about standards and perhaps within the four walls of their classroom do try to maintain some. However, the beast system that is in charge of all of these schools doesn't give a crap about you or your kid or their educative outcomes. This expected progress thing is a massive scam, an absolute scam. So run a mile from that. Anyway, I've departed from my um, rant about the Welshies that are complaining about the sex ed. And I just want to briefly touch on that, those parents that are suing the Department for Education over personal, social health and so-called economic education, although I don't recall any economics being involved in any of the PSE that we did or the PSH, or the PHSE, Personal Health, Social and Economic Education. Absolutely awful. Oh, we're suing the Department for Education because this sex ed has gone too far, blah, blah, blah. Yes, the sex ed has gone too far, blah, blah, blah. But what about all of the other problems? What about the climate hoax that's being promulgated by these indoctrination centres? What about this history of climate change GCSE that the Department for Education is launching? 
Shall we fact check that? What about the idea that you never study the crimes of the state when you read history? Is there a GCSE in there? There were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, therefore the war was illegal. No, we don't seem to learn about that. Do we learn about how the British crown treated the Irish? No, we don't learn about that. Do we look into what really happened to Dr. Kelly? That would be an interesting history lesson or three, wouldn't it? Wouldn't history be exciting if we were actually allowed to investigate anything? But no, of course, you're not allowed to do that. So there's huge problems with history, huge problems with history. And it's a very important subject for obvious reasons. We're not giving students the tools to discern that which is official documentary evidence and that which is fabricated. Most crucial thing ever is going to be figuring out what is truthful information. Of course it is if we're going to try to establish a history of what's happened. Um, And, oh no, they don't want your children learning that. No, 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 no. So there's huge problems in history. There's huge problems in geography because that'll be full of climate nonsense. You've got your sex ed, which is obviously way out of control, absolutely abysmal. Then you've got all of the pushing of this trans stuff, which is unacceptable, totally unacceptable. But we're missing the big one. We're missing the big one. The vocabulary of children is worse than it has ever been. The vocabulary of children is actually decreasing and has been doing so since the Second World War. I know that sounds absolutely batty, but it happens to be true. So says the book Hold On To Your Kids by Gabor Maté and Dr. Gordon Neufeld. Since World War II, the vocabulary of children has been on the decrease. It's dangerous. These children are dumber than ever, and yet they're bigged up to be made to feel that they're super intelligent and super smart. They're not. Listen to even Peter Hitchens, who Peter often gets praise for being a smart, intelligent man. And he claims that it's not true. He says, well, actually, I think everyone is so dumbed down now, I've kind of been promoted by accident almost. I know how he feels. I know how he feels. He's read quite a lot of books, I should imagine. He's obviously done a lot of writing, particularly for the Daily Mail, the Daily Fail. But he doesn't recognize that he's, quote unquote, academically gifted and says it's only by default. Well, I'm right with you there, Peter. I know precisely what you mean. He's not just being modest. I think he's telling the truth, the whole truth. And I know that Mr. Oliver, Neil Oliver, the great Neil Oliver, I call him the King of Scotland because that is what he should be. He's going batty about the standards in education and what's going on in these indoctrination centres. Awful standards in mathematics. 15, 16-year-olds who don't know their times tables. And we're talking higher tier candidates that don't know their times tables, and I can prove that. It's disgraceful. 16 years old and they don't know their times tables. Absolutely abysmal. The handwriting is appalling. They're not using capital letters and full stops when they write sentences. I don't know how the English teachers are coping. I only have to write a very little amount of writing in full sentences on mathematics exams. There's only a couple of places on most papers where you'd have to write anything other than a number. And it's abysmal, truly abysmal. The worst handwriting I've ever seen. The spacing is off. It's almost as if young men and women aged 16 are still using their thumb or their index finger to leave a space between words. It is horrible. They cannot write on a line. Like I said, no capital letters and full stops. Don't you learn that in in primary school? My goodness, I think we started learning that in top infants. But anyway, it has to be seen to be believed. And I promise that once the confidentiality period has finished, i.e. once this year's grades are handed out, which will be in a couple of weeks' time, I will then be able to do you a lecture called GCSE Probs, where I show you GCSE Problems, GCSE Probs, where I show you these things that I'm telling you now. I'm telling you the absolute truth, and I have the screenshots to prove it. Disgraceful standards. But these aren't the only problems. 
these indoctrination centres are teaching your children that the state is good, that government is good, and that they're your friends and that they're here to help you. Well, hang on a minute. Why do we never have debates in schools about whether government is a good idea at all? You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to question that. Well, what is good governance? You don't really see that being analysed either or discussed. What is anarchy? Well, they don't want people to know about that. They don't want to know what an anarchist really is. People have this image that an anarchist is a bit like the Tasmanian devil, some sort of crazy, riotous, mob-like situation. It's nothing like that at all. It just means without governance. Shouldn't need anybody to govern you. Behave yourself. It's not difficult, is it? We were given 10 rules, sometimes called the Ten Commandments. None of them are particularly difficult or at all difficult to understand. Just sort yourself out. Be a man, be a woman. Teach your children to do the same. It isn't difficult. It's not that difficult at all, but we're not allowed to discuss these things. And then you get stuck into things like the Big Bang Theory, which is still just a theory. That can't be questioned in schools either. That is the science, and that is what happened. So nothing crashed into nothing and made something, the world, apparently. A little amoeba turned into lizards, turned into apes, turned into us. Right. Yeah, I see. Should we have a chat about that? No, not allowed. No, can't talk about that. <laughs> can't talk about theory of evolution, and we cannot talk about the Big Bang Theory either. And we definitely can't talk about germ theory. Now, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because how topical is that? Interestingly, when I was about to take my GCSE history, so two years before I was in my exam year, my exam year was 2000, I think, and two years before that, a new GCSE came out a new history GCSE, a new syllabus. It was called the History of Medicine. Mm, isn't that interesting? And we were laughing at all of the silly people who believed that there were blockages in the body and that acupuncture can remove those blockages so that the person gets healed. Oh, isn't that silly? <laughs> Backwards. <laughs> I'm very interested in the work of Alexander Fleming, very interested in vaccines and the science, really, the science of medicine. Mm, isn't that funny? Because now, when we hit the scamdemic, COVID-1984, the people who will have sat that GCSE and studied those GCSEs, i.e. everybody who came after me, pretty much, whose teachers selected that particular course, it was a very popular course, one of the biggest exam boards, by the way, all of those people will have been in their 30s, I would say, 20s, 30s, definitely not hitting 40. So under the age of 40, let's say, all of the adults under the age of 40 have a very good chance, if they studied GCSE history, very popular subject, of studying the history of medicine. Well, the government's version of the history of medicine, let's say. Now, that's curious because what's just been released, I think it was last year, please correct me if I'm wrong on this, it's recent, it's relatively recent, last year or two, I would say, the Department for Education have released, have announced that they're releasing a history of climate change GCSE. Ah, do you see the game? Do you see what they're doing? So now, the children who are 14, and anyone who comes after them, 14 and down, 14 and younger, are going to have this history of climate change GCSE. So, mm, in about, let's say, 15 years from now, 10 to 15 years from now, what's the betting there's some massive climate scam, some massive climate hoax? Because these children have been primed to believe it, to believe all of that nonsense, just like we were primed to believe in the science via the history of medicine. And people don't think this stuff is going on. It's right there in your faces. It's right there in your faces. Your children are being indoctrinated. And worse than that, 
they're not even being educated anymore. They're not even getting their fix of reading, writing, arithmetic, articulation, morality, forget that one, can't be looking at that. They're not even getting those basic tools, those basic skills that you remember getting when you were at school. Yes, you got them, but look at the grammar. Look at the lack of capital letters and full stops. Look at the state of the handwriting. Look at the fact that 16-year-olds don't know their multiplication tables. You, who are listening to this now, were all better than that when you left primary school, let alone when you left secondary school. These children have never had more educative resources. There has never been more access to information in the history of humanity. And yet, relatively speaking, we're the dumbest box of frogs ever. We're more stupid than ever because we've had it all laid on a plate for us. Yeah, no standards, no standards at all. I think I've said my piece about education. I will leave that there for now, but I'm coming back for more and I will be getting that GCSE probs lecture out to all of you in the first term, Michael Mass, when we return September, October kind of time. So that brings me to the sound of freedom. I mentioned this a couple of weeks back because I really liked it. I watched the movie, really liked it. I basically said, long story short, that it's for the sheeple. It's for people who don't realize that child trafficking is a thing that don't really understand what child trafficking precisely is, how gross it is, how sick it is. The film doesn't touch on who's responsible. The film touches on, oh, it's some Colombians, you know, some greasy Colombians in the jungle somewhere. And I'm sure there are greasy Colombians in the jungle somewhere who do rape children. Tim Ballard, the guy who this movie is based upon, Tim Ballard, uh, former Department for Homeland Security employee for 12 years, He tells us this and he tells us he's rescued children from there, so fair play to him. I happen to believe him. I've watched him very carefully and very closely in many interviews now on the internet and I believe every word of his story. I think he's telling the truth. I think he's authentic. And I think if you listen to his interviews, I think you will come to a similar conclusion. I think we should be reading and listening to the fake news media. Let's just go direct to source and listen to the original person. Let's listen to what Tim Ballard has to say about what he did and where he did it. And you decide, have the confidence to decide for yourself. You're smart. You're way smarter than you realize. This whole scam, as in the hierarchy enslaving you, they, the hierarchy enslaving you, it's all pulled off because you're made to feel that you're stupid and that your intuition doesn't count for anything. Nonsense. Go and listen to this man and you tell me if he's a liar or not. I recommend the Jordan Peterson interview. I will try and put a link to that in the chat, the Jordan Peterson one, where Jordan interviews both Jim Carfiesel, that is the actor who played Tim Ballard in the movie, The Sound of Freedom, Sound of Freedom, and Tim Ballard's there too. So you've got the original guy that the movie's about, you've got the lead actor who played the guy in the movie, and you've got Jordan Peterson discussing child trafficking, and Jordan throws out some of these lies that have been told about both Tim and Jim, and they bat them back, and it's, I think it's a very good interview, it comes across very well. There are many others as well, and I recommend you go far and wide Listen to these gentlemen, listen to the actor Jim Carfiesel, and listen to what Tim Ballard is saying. I think it's authentic, I really do. Anyway, the mainstream media, the fake stream media, I think fake stream's a good one, I'm going to use that instead of the fake news media to avoid confusion. The fake stream media have got their knickers in a twist, haven't they? They're not happy about this movie, can anybody think why? Hmm, hmm, well, let's leave that, shall we? So, I've got here something from Oh, is it the New York Times? I thought that, ah, this is from the New York Times. And I've had to use the Wayback Machine. So again, I will leave you the way because I'm not paying to read the New York Times. I'm not paying to read propaganda. No, thank you. I will leave the Wayback Machine link in the description so that you can read it too at your leisure. 
It says, a film about child trafficking takes on summer blockbusters. So this is from the 11th of July, and I'm going somewhere with this. I know it's about a month ago, but I am going somewhere with this. Bear with me. Sound of Freedom, a film championed by the right. Excuse me, I'm not the right, for starters. How dare you? I think all of politics is bent. I think they're all liars. Anyway, Sound of Freedom, a film championed by the right, was behind only Insidious, The Red Door, and Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny at the box office last weekend. Sound of Freedom, a thriller, a thriller, <laughs> excuse me, Sound of Freedom, a thriller starring Jim Caviezel as a federal agent who takes on child traffickers, will not be the summer box office's biggest hit, but it may be its unlikeliest. The film, whose distributor Angel Studios has a big success with The Chosen, a streaming series about the life of Jesus, was the third most watched film in North America last weekend. Its 19.7 million weekend take was behind only the horror film Insidious the Red Door, which made 33 million. Did it really? Not 32 or 34, 33 million in its first weekend. And Indiana Jones and the Dial of Woke Destiny. Oh, sorry, I misread that. I do apologize. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which made 27.4 million in its second. Sound of Freedom is based on a true story. Carvisal plays Tim Ballard, a US Department of Homeland Security agent who investigated paedophiles. Ballard later founded the anti-trafficking group Operation Underground Railroad, became a frequent guest on Fox News, and was appointed by former President Donald J. Trump to a federal advisory panel on human trafficking. So there you go. Anybody who's making out that Tim Ballard is a liar, well, <laughs> not according to the New York Times, and they're supposed to check their facts, aren't they? So hang on a minute, you've got the fake stream media here, sort of validating that this Tim Ballard did work for the US Department of Homeland Security. He did investigate paedophiles. He did found the anti-trafficking group and was even appointed as an advisor to a panel on human trafficking by President Donald J. Trump. So this guy's legit. Anyway, the article here by the journalist or journalier, depending on your opinion, Mark Tracy of the New York Times says, some critics say the film appeals to the QAnon movement which posits a false conspiracy theory accusing progressive elites of paedophilia. Just hold on a minute, son. <laughs> Are you saying progressive elites don't commit and have never committed paedophilia? Because you're not right. <laughs> Lord Mountbatten? Sorry. In fact, Britain has got loads of them. <laughs> Jimmy Savile? <laughs> Need I go on? Need I go on? Like, how can you write something like that these days and think that people are going to believe you? Unbelievable. Like, you want to, you know, all of this legislation that's coming in to threaten the alternative media for saying things that they shouldn't be saying on YouTube or in their blogs or whatever. They want to shut down so-called amateur journalists, civilian citizen journalists, right? Well, hang on a minute. It's not us that are... <laughs> I watched a great clip last night where I can't remember the guy's name, but it was very funny. And they were talking about it wasn't a lie on YouTube that sent us to an illegal war in Iraq. It wasn't a lie on YouTube that caused the cover-up regarding 9-11. It wasn't a lie on YouTube that has ever caused any of these problems. It's lies by the fake stream media. It's you. It's the liars in Parliament, Parliament. It's the journal liars. It's not the amateur brigade, the amateur citizen journalists, a bit like sometimes I wear a, an amateur journalist hat occasionally when I'm looking into things where the state are attacking the people who, whom I deem to be the only remaining journalists are real journalists now. But it's, you know, when we make a mistake, we correct ourselves. And we're actually, most of us are quite cagey. We say, hey, look, I've looked into this. You should do your own research. This is what I've found. 
We're not arrogant enough to just sit there and say, some critics say the film appeals to the QAnon movement, which posits a false conspiracy theory accusing progressive elites of paedophilia. Oh, just fancy. What do you think Hollyweird is full of, Mark? Come on. We call it Hollyweird over here. I mean, Hollyweird actors over several generations have come out and said it's a filthy cesspit. They said there's loads of pedos in Hollyweird, but they're on the record. And these are A-listers. These are very, very famous actors and actresses who've all come out and said the same thing. <laughs> Do you remember Jeffrey Epstein? Let's not talk about him. How do we mark? No, 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 no. Anyway, The Guardian, oh, the commie rag. The Guardian called it a QAnon-adjacent thriller. Now, that's just a slur. That is just a slur. There is nothing in this movie. I've watched the whole thing. There's nothing in it about QAnon at all. At all, at all, at all. Nothing at all. I called this movie... Sound of Freedom, like the, a normie movie. It's a movie for normies. It's not really for us. We know all that stuff. And we, we want the movie to go further and point the finger at who these people really are. We want the lists. We want the Lolita Express logs. We want to know. We want those flight logs. We want to know who was on those planes going to Pedo Island, Epstein Island. We want those names. We know that there's really famous names on it. Yeah? Disgusting. Disgusting. A Rolling Stone article said that its mainstream accessibility makes it valuable as a recruitment tool. Well, actually, I think that's a fair comment, Rolling Stone, but the problem is your angle is that QAnon shouldn't be recruiting. Now, whilst I might agree with you, I think recruiting people to the idea that child sex trafficking is real, that adults do rape children, adults do rape and abuse in other ways, disgusting ways, children. I think the fact that the average person in the street doesn't want to think about that or thinks that that's not true is a problem. Yeah, that's why these children are suffering. That's why these children are hurt and screwed up for life, those that survive. Many of them die. Many of them die because of the gross things being done to such young bodies. Disgusting. And yet, Rolling Stone wants to take that angle. In an interview, Neil Harmon, Angel's chief executive, said anybody who watches this film knows that this film is not about conspiracy theories, adding it's not about politics. So Angel is the distributor of the movie. It's very hard to get a movie distributed. This movie... Sound of Freedom was apparently ready to go, was in the can, ready to go four or five years ago, and they've not been able to get it out until now. Now, I would suggest that the scandemic, COVID-1984, has actually allowed and enabled us to get this movie out because there's more of a, people are going, yeah, yeah, actually, tell me that one again. Those conspiracy theorists seem to get an awful lot right during the scandemic, didn't they? Did you notice? <laughs> Well, I think they did a good job. I'm much more interested in listening to the conspiracy theorists than I am to doctors now. The doctors didn't do very well, did they, during the scandemic? But I think the conspiracy theorists broadly did a very good job. It kept a lot of people from dying of the quack scene or developing a heart condition like pericarditis, myocarditis. Hmm. I think they got a lot right. Anyway, I would agree that the movie isn't about politics at all, at all, at all. And it doesn't point the finger at who I would say is really behind I do believe there are elite paedophile rings, and I base that on the likes of Jimmy Savile. I presented a bouquet to Princess Margaret when I was about seven or eight years old in a town in the northwest called Nutsford. It was Nutsford's 700th charter year, and Princess Margaret was coming to say well done to the town for its 700th year. And I was asked to present the bouquet. I was just the flower girl. And of course, the flower girl and her parents get invited, along with everybody else who's at the reception, get invited to sort of like drinks and nibbles with the royals 
after the ceremony. And uh, also the Halle Orchestra were playing in Tatton Park and Princess Margaret and her entourage went to see that as well. And so did we. But the only time we were in contact with the Royals was at the Civic Hall, I think it was. And it's where the cinema is now in Nutsford for those people who are from that part of the world, Nutsford in Cheshire, and that is in England, for those who listen from a bit farther afield. Anyway, in the reception, we did meet Princess Margaret and her entourage, myself, my mother and my father. However, when we got told, obviously, well in advance that I was going to be presenting this bouquet and I need a dress made, and we were told what colours Princess Margaret would be wearing so that we didn't clash with my dress colour and stuff like that. So this thing was arranged months in advance. Now, the invitations from the palace, they're quite fancy. I think I might still have one. My mother's came through and mine came through immediately. As soon as it was announced that it would be me that would be presenting the bouquet, we got our invitations to meet Princess Margaret. My father's invitation was held up. My father's invitation didn't arrive until the day before. We thought my dad wasn't going to be allowed to come. Now, we weren't officially told where my dad's invitation was, although we did repeatedly ask for it. But it's because MI5 were running security checks. My father's father, my granddad, was born in Derry, Northern Ireland. And we are pretty sure that they were investigating whether or not my father had connections to the IRA. My father was born in England. My father, my grandfather was born in Ireland. I don't know him. I don't know whether he, I don't even know whether he did have any links with the IRA or not. We just don't know. I never met him. But my father certainly didn't. He was born in Ashton-under-Lyme. He was born in, born in the northwest of England, never had any contact with his biological father, as far as I can tell. And yet his invitation was held up. His invitation for him and me to meet Princess Margaret was held up until the very last minute. The very last minute. That's what these security checks are like. They didn't want my, you know, if my dad had been connected to the IRA, they didn't want my dad passing information on or knowing he was going to be there because that maybe they might have got him to do something. I don't know. Uh, seven or eight years old, I didn't have a clue about any of this, but it was curious, you know. His invitation didn't come to the last minute. Now, that's because MI5 are running all these security checks and all these background checks, right? And making inquiries and making sure that anybody who gets within arm's reach of a royal is who they say they are and they've got stuff. They know where they live, they know who they are and are not going to present any danger to the royal family. Well, well, well. Well, well, well. How come Jimmy Savile can be seen, you know, walking next to what was Prince Charles and is now King or Queen Charles, whatever you prefer. Yeah, the woke West King, not my king. You've got loads of pictures of Jimmy Savile, Jimmy Savile, the notorious paedophile and necrophiliac, disgusting, despicable child abuser. And he's right there holding hands, shaking hands with the royals, smoking his big cigars in King Charles's face. Prince Charles back then, King Charles now. So how did he get that close to the royals then? And they didn't know. What? Of course they knew. Of course they knew. They were investigating my dad for, if not weeks, then months, just in case he happened to know somebody in Ireland who was something to do with the IRA. Nonsense. Complete nonsense, by the way. But that's the reason. And yet Jimmy Savile is all over the royals. Lord Mountbatten and all the rest of all the other paedophiles. Come on. Come on. This is 2023. We're not having it. We're not having this anymore. We are not bloody having it. Anyway, I will leave you the rest of the article to dig into for yourself. Essentially, the sting pieces are claiming the movies to do with QAnon purely because it would seem that perhaps the actor 
who played Tim Ballard. We're talking about Jim Cafiesel, beautiful actor, by the way, wonderful actor, very, very talented, hardworking and talented, brilliant, just simply brilliant. He's so watchable. You, you cannot take your eyes off him. He also played Jesus in Mel Gibson's 2004 film, The Passion of the Christ, which is also an excellent movie. And they don't like to talk about this one, but he actually played the lead in The Count of Monte Cristo. He played The Count of Monte Cristo in The Count of Monte Cristo. Again, an excellent, excellent movie. The, the, the fake news media, the fake stream media don't like to talk about that, though, because he was so, so good in it. And they haven't got an angle on that movie. They just don't have an angle on it, so they can't work it. Anyway, they're saying that Jim Caviezel seemed to allude to QAnon while promoting the film on the podcast of Stephen Bannon, saying there is a big storm coming, a movement motto and mentioning adrenochrome, a hormone that QAnon adherents say elites harvest from their child victims. Well, yeah, ad adrenochrome's a thing. Why do you think a cat plays with a mouse before it kills it? Why do you think a cat does that? Go and do some homework. Goodness me. Not you guys. I'm just talking about this clown that's written this article in, in the New York Times. You know, go and do your own research. This isn't rocket science. That's exactly the hormone that's produced when a creature is in terror. Yeah. You go and research what that does and why the cat does that and what that does to the cat when the cat consumes the mouse thereafter. Anyway, I think I've probably gone on long enough about this, but I just want to point out that the fake stream media are doing an absolute hatchet job on this movie. And I think it's hilarious because I just think it's going to attract more people to it, the Streisland effect or so-called. I just think that more and more people are going to want to see it and are going to see it. I think the ship has sailed where people believe the commie rag, the Guardian and the New York Times about these kinds of things because it doesn't take more than about five or ten minutes research to realize that there's nothing in the movie about QAnon. It's not about politics at all. It's about saving children and raising awareness of the jeopardy that children are in thanks to the evil creatures that are involved in child trafficking. People who are awake, especially people who are QAnoned, any QAnon followers, are not going to think very much of the movie in terms of its information because they know all of this and it's a bit low level. Like, this movie's for the sheeple, all right? This movie's for the normies. This is for the sheeple. That said, it is still a very, very good movie. But I, you know, I, I just... I think the media are busy shooting themselves in the foot in both feet here because they are, well, the lies are just becoming so obvious. I mean, is this controlled demolition of journalism? I don't know. Is it? I have no idea. But um, anyway, there's been a little bit of a scandal as well that they've managed to dig up three weeks later. Let me just find this before I go because I should mention it. You see, because I'm trying to be a responsible amateur journalist, unlike these creeps in the fake stream media on huge fat salaries lying for a paycheck. Investor for Sound of Freedom film about child sex trafficking is charged with accessory to child kidnapping. Now, I don't know anything about this story. I've only just seen the headlines. But a guy called Fabian Marta was arrested by the St. Louis Metropolitan Police on the 23rd of July. He was charged as an accessory to child kidnapping, according to court records. He was later released on a $15,000 bond, according to Insider. Mr. Marta is listed in the credits of the film Sound of Freedom as one of the investors who helped bring Sound of Freedom to theatres. Now, I don't know this man's story, and I wouldn't obviously want to comment on it because it's something that's going into court. However, I do know that fathers, I do know of fathers who are accused of being accessory to kidnap when it's their own children, i.e. their wife has gone crazy, has taken the kids away, has refused to let the father see them, and then the father tries to get in touch with the children or tries to arrange to see the children, and then they get nicked for 
child kidnapping or being an accessory to child kidnapping. I know that happens. My sister, unfortunately, is a social worker, so I know rather a lot about these things. So I'm not saying, I am not saying that that's the case with Mr. Marta here. I don't know. I genuinely don't know. But I'm saying that that is a possibility. Also, let's say this guy is a baddie, quote unquote, and he really was guilty of being an accessory to child kidnapping. It's taken the fake news media a month to go and fight. So they've been through all of the credits on the film to dig up dirt, and that's the best they can do on one guy who's just given some money to get this film into the cinema. I also ask you to think about why would a guy who's been accused of being an accessory, well, who's subsequently been accused to being an accessory to child kidnapping, first of all, why would somebody like that give money to a movie about child sex trafficking? If you're the bad guys, you wouldn't want to promote a movie that's exposing your practices, would you? That's not very smart, is it? It's a bit of a stupid thing to do. So I'm not saying I know this guy, but I'm just suggesting that that doesn't sound like the actions of a guy who's into child kidnapping. Why would you go and give money to a movie that exposes that kind of behavior? That's really quite retarded, isn't it? So I'm just putting that out there. Like I said, I don't know this case. I wouldn't like to comment further, but go check it out. I will leave links in the description so that as ever, you can do your own research And I will make sure I give links via the Wayback Machine so that you don't have to pay for any of this nonsense. Go see the movie, go see the movie, go see the movie, and tell everybody else to go see the movie and judge for themselves. My best piece of advice to you guys who are more advanced than the movie is watch Tim Ballard, watch his interviews, watch him very carefully, watch him like a hawk, and trust your gut. Do you think he's telling the truth? I'll hold my hands up and I say, I do. I damn well think he's telling the truth. I feel it. When you hear him describe how he felt when he first saw these disgusting videotapes that these paedophiles and child sex traffickers make with these children, abusing children, actually murdering children in the act, it rang true to me. Even him just recalling how he felt was with Jordan Peterson. I'm talking about the Jordan Peterson interview here, which I will again leave a link in the description to. It's disgusting. It really, I believe him. I believe every word of his story. And in any case, there's way more truth contained in it than Hollywood movies, that's for sure. Um, I've probably said enough, probably enough to get me nicked or thrown into jail in future years. Hopefully, at least I'm doing my bit. Over to you to do yours. Have a fantastic week. I cannot wait to catch up with you next weekend. I'll leave you with pretty much what I always leave you with. Your children can either be educated or schooled. And these things are mutually exclusive. Take back your individual sovereignty and that of your family. Visit sarahplumley.substack.com and subscribe for free to stay up to speed with all things education, not indoctrination. 